This is John 20, 19 to 23. So, as we were singing that song, All Other Ground is Sinking Sand, um, I got to thinking about what that would be like to be on quicksand or to be on some kind of unstable foundation where you just start kind of losing it and going. What would happen? Panic? A little bit of panic? A little bit of fear and anxiety? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about fear and anxiety um, because this part of our study finds us with the disciples in a locked room. So, Almighty God, help us to understand your word today. Help us to be able to grasp it and to know what to do with it to glorify you. Amen. So, John 20. On the evening of that day... The first day of the week, now that day is the first day, that's Sunday, this is Resurrection Day, all right? We already had at dawn, Jesus was there, um, appearing to Mary, um, and then throughout the day, and now this is going into the evening of that day. On Resurrection Day, Jesus made five different appearances. He appeared to Mary, he appeared to the other women, he appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus, he appeared to Peter, and he, now he's appearing to these disciples, 10 of them. Thomas is not there. So he was popping up all over the place on this first day. And so this verse finds us with these 10 disciples and some others there, and the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They were together, which is good, because Jesus prayed for unity for them to be together and to have fellowship. So they were together together. But they were behind locked doors. They kind of cleaved with each other. I'm sure the, 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 what was going on through the day, they hadn't yet seen Jesus except Peter. Um, and so they're like there, and it's like, is this really happening? What's going on? Are they going to come and get us? You know, they just, you know, what's going to happen to us? And they didn't know, and they were in fear. Fear. Fear, fear, fear. It's when you get that knot in your stomach and your breath. You can't catch your breath. It's an unpleasant, often strong emotion that's caused by an anticipation or an awareness of danger. Anticipating something horrible to happen. So the doors were secured and locked against any unwelcome person to come inside that door. They were secured there. They were hiding. Let's call it what it is. They were hiding They're expecting, you know, something negative to come and find them. Um, And so they were just all kind of huddled there. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, this doesn't happen every day, you guys. (laughs) They're like just kind of, you know, what's going to happen? Their voices were low and everything. And then all of a sudden, there's Jesus standing there saying, peace be with you. So we're finding out that his, un, his resurrected body that hadn't ascended yet was not hindered by physical doors. So already we're in a different dimension here, aren't we, with this resurrected body, a different dimension. And he appears with them. It wasn't like he took a drill or a hacksaw and opened the, the lock on the door and came in. He was just there, standing with them. Scripture tells us that our bodies will be the same one day. 1 Corinthians 15, 
42 tells us, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, what is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, who is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. The flesh is first, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are from of the dust, and as it is the man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So, hey, cool, man. I'm here. I'm there. I'm gone. I'm whatever. So these are the, these are the resurrected bodies that we're going to have. And what does Jesus do on this day? He seeks out his people. He's there. His focus is on them. And he says, peace Peace be with you. He breaks into their fear like he breaks into the room and he's standing there. He is present with them. He is there. He's with them and he's saying to have peace there. He brings a word of peace to calm their fears. This is a comforting peace of his presence. And when he repeats it a second time there, peace be with you, it's almost like a reconciling, reconciling piece. There's two different pieces. The piece of comfort. Wow, he's here in his presence. But he's also proclaiming that he's made peace. There's a peace now because of his work on the cross. There's peace that we can have with God. A peace of, of being reconciled to God. Um, and it, maybe some of them even thought that, oh my goodness, Here's Jesus. Is he going to yell at us now for abandoning him? But instead, he's bringing a word of of reconciliation, of comfort and peace to them. Peace between God and his people. So he's saying it twice here. There's a meaning behind that. It's It's an impact of peace. I'm here with you and peace with God because of the work on the cross. In verse 20, um, Uh, we go on and it says when he had said this he showed them his hands and his side and then the disciples were glad when they saw that it was the Lord so at first I'm sure they were perplexed about it oh my gosh is it really him and so he tells them he gives them evidence of what's going on them evidence and reassurance Luke 24 gives us a little bit more evidence supportive evidence Luke 24 36 says this through 42. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and they they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet 
And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Evidence. They touched him. They heard him. They smelled him. They, you know, all the senses were there for him. And then he eats something to let them know that really, you know, he is, he was there. It was really him. He was present. He was declaring God's peace to them. He had just defeated the foes that which destroyed the peace of man. Sin destroyed our peace with God. Sin destroyed life. Um, and he just had conquered it. Sin's forgiven. The power of sin over us is broken. And our eternal destiny is settled. So the peace with God, when we have peace with God, that removes all fear. And it brings gladness. They said that they were glad when they knew that it was him. So when we realize this, when our focus is on him, and we're realizing that, that we're here with God, he's with us, we have peace between us and God, our sins are forgiven, that is an overwhelming sense of contentment, of groundedness, of joy and gladness. And this is what he was bringing to them. So the presence of Christ brings peace. Okay, let's move on and build on that now. Because in verse 21, I love these short passages. You can really dig into them. He's giving them a mission. He's giving them a purpose. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Here's something to do. They have something to do now. Um, because they're up there, what's going to happen? You know, Jesus, you know, they just crucified him, and, and some people have seen him and everything. Now we've seen him. It's like, what, what's the next step here? What's the plan? What's going to happen here? So he gives them direction. Now, he gives them peace first before he's going to give them their marching orders. And the reason is this. To effectively preach the gospel of peace to others, one must have peace ourselves. Right? A good teacher is somebody who has learned the lesson themselves, right? You have to kind of understand it and learn it before you can teach it to somebody else. You can't teach someone how to drive a car if you've never driven a car. You can't teach the gospel of peace to somebody if you really don't have God's peace, right? You can't be an effective one anyways. You can't be a heartfelt one. It's not book smart. It's experience smart that happens, I've had people in my office working with them for long periods of time who were not believers, and it's like, why do you keep coming back to see me? And they say, because I want what you have. I want what you have. And that's our witness to the world. They have got to see us and want what we have. They see it. And so he gives them the peace first, and then he gives them the mission to continue his work. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And this was Jesus' prayer in John 17. In verse 18, Jesus sends us into the world sanctified in truth. Okay? He's sending us out, reviewing back on John 17, verse 18. That might be worth looking at here. I didn't mark it, but. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So another thing to be effective witness of peace is to be sanctified in God's word. We have done that all year, ladies, haven't we? 
getting sanctified in his word as we study this word. And so they have a, a job. They are sent ones, or they are missionaries. Missionaries are sent ones. And he's going to empower them to spread this good news. He's telling them not to stay behind a locked door. I knew you guys knew I'd get onto this. <laughs> he's telling them, don't just, you know, sell everything and go up and hover out and wait for the rapture to happen. He's telling them to go out. And he's going to empower them to go out, okay? It's the good news. Don't stay home behind locked doors. Go out. It's a commandment to go out. And we're sent after the pattern of the Father sending the Son. And one of your questions in your study was all about that. How many times did Jesus make a reference? I sent you, you know, as the Father sent me, the Father sent me, the Father sent me, right? Duh. He knows we're thick skin. The Father sent me. The Father sent I don't even know how many times that we looked that up in that question. He's our example. And then I always go back to Romans 10, where Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone being sent? That's paraphrased by me, or being or going out to preach. How are they going to know? We hold the truth. And if we just stay locked up and not go out, we're, we're not being obedient. 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is loaded. <laughs> Last week, I wasn't sure, but now I know what this is all about here. This is Jesus doing a symbolic object lesson. It's a visual picture of what's going to happen at Pentecost. No, the disciples did not receive the Holy Spirit then. Okay, but his breathing out on them saying, receive the Holy Spirit was a way to let them have a visual of like when when God breathed life into Adam, the breath of life. Okay, Um, and it it ties in with all those other verses. Um, The one I just read to you about regenerated or a resurrected body, regenerated body, spirit, whatever spirit, pneuma wind, air, okay? Um, And so he's just letting them know that that's going to happen, that he's going to give them the power to do what he's told them to do. And we know that he never calls us to do something he doesn't equip us to do, right? Now, whether we tap into that, you know, resource of him equipping us, that's up to us, but it's there. And so this was a a symbolic object lesson of what's about to happen at Pentecost. It was talking about from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from the flesh to the spirit, the flesh versus the breath, the spirit. He's tying those two ideas together. The disciples were already regenerated men, and we know that from John 15, 3, and Jesus told them, you are... Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remember when he says, when he's washing their feet, and then, was it Peter that jumps up? Oh, wash all of me. And what did Jesus say to him? 
All of you doesn't need to be washed. You're already washed. You just have to keep your, your life intact from day to day, confessing your sin and just washing your hands or washing your feet, okay? So they were already regenerated by that. But what he was going to give them was the power to, to do what he, we're supposed to do here as the church. So the Spirit was not given until he ascended on high. He's told us that in John 16. And in Acts 1.8, which we'll study in September, Jesus told the apostles to wait for the Spirit to come upon them. And in Ephesians 4.8, Paul tells us that when Jesus had ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. So Jesus ascended, and when he did that, he was, the spirit was, came down and was given. Jesus could only be in one place at one time, right? The spirit of God is a, a, can be in all of the church, in all believers' hearts, okay? So this was a more efficient way to really get the job done of spreading the gospel than just one guy in one place. That was the plan with that. 23. Receive the Holy Spirit. He goes sending them out. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I do not have the power to forgive anybody's sin. Okay? Neither do you guys. You don't have it. We didn't die on a cross. We're not God. There's no way. We, there's just no way. We, you know. So this isn't what this verse is talking about. But it is talking about forgiveness, because what is the whole central theme of the gospel is forgiveness, isn't it? So if you're going to go out with the gospel of peace, that's the message of forgiveness that brings peace between us and God. So it makes sense that we're talking about peace and spreading the gospel. It's the story of forgiveness. Jesus is giving his disciples the authority to announce forgiveness, and to warn of guilt. This is the duty of the church, to proclaim forgiveness to the repentant believer and to warn the unbeliever that they're in danger of forfeiting the mercy of God. We don't create the forgiveness, okay? Or we don't create it and we don't deny it. We announce it according to God's word and the wisdom of his spirit. Now, if you lead someone through a sinner's prayer or someone just comes here, hey, I got saved last week, blah, 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 blah. You say, that's great. We have the authority to validate and reassure them that your sins are forgiven. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess him with his mouth that he, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, is Jesus is God and confess with your mouth that he is Lord or something like that, another paraphrase by Molly, you are saved. You're saved. That's it. And if they've done that, hallelujah, your sins are forgiven. It's faith, and we're passing it on, and it, the Scripture says their sins are forgiven. If they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their sins are forgiven. Who are we to say, well, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. You want anxiety in your life. There it is, right? Well, I did. Are my sins for, Well, I don't know. I don't know. The church needs to stand boldly and say, yes, your sins are forgiven. Now start acting like a Christian. Start living it out. This is what this passage is saying. Jesus gave them the authority 
to announce forgiveness. And that's what the church is supposed to do here. We announce the, the, the good news. Wow, they have a purpose now. They have a purpose. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, King James Version says it beautifully like this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. This is comforting to know that this is what we're supposed to do in life. We, we share the gospel. We live it out. You know, we, we don't know if we're going to go to college, we're going to get married, we're going to take this job. We're going to, we, but we do know that we're going to live out the gospel, right? And he's equipped us to do that. So what do we have to fear? God's not going to tell us to do something and then, hey, you're on your own, right? He's going to give us all we need to do that. And if it's the gospel of peace, we're going to have to retain peace. The Lord on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Psalms 11, 118. And if God is for us, who is against us? Romans 8, 31. So the presence of Christ brings peace and power to his servants. Okay? God's presence brings us peace and power. Okay. That's pulling all that out. Now, what are we supposed to do with that? Because this is the big thing here. The big, big thing. Let me wet my whistle before I get into the big, big thing here. Anxiety is a problem. Anxiety disorders affect 40 million U.S. adults every year. And I'm talking about anxiety disorders. Someone who has such anxiety that it designates a mental health disorder. General anxiety disorder, um, acute stress disorder, PTSD, you know, adjustment disorder with anxiety, you name it. We're talking about something that constitutes concretely you can measure and we have an eating, we have a anxiety disorder. That's not just anyone who's a little bit nervous, right? Or they may have it and they just haven't been assessed by a professional. You know, they might have one of these. So the ones that have gone to a professional and gotten a, 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 a diagnosis, 40 million. Okay. Here's the more shocking statistic. About 31% of U.S. adolescents suffer from an anxiety disorder. 31% of our youth, adolescents, and I bet you, and these were statistics from uh, just recently came up looking at 2020 this last year. Well, this school stuff, this shutdown stuff, this whole shenanigans going on, it has affected our youth more than any other segment of the population. The elder it has too because they've been isolated and everything too, but these kids, they need to be with their friends. So people from the same study, people sheltering in place reported higher levels of stress and worry over COVID-19 than people who were not sheltering in place. So if you're going to shelter in place, if you're going to hang out in the little upper room with the door locked like the disciples, you're going to be 47% have 47 
47% of, they're going to have 47% more stress and anxiety over the whole COVID thing than those who just, well, I, yeah, it's out there, I'm listening to whatever, but I'm not locked down, okay? Now, fear. I've often said up here, I've been told there's 365 verses about fear. And I told you, I don't know if that's true or not. I never counted them. I don't know. It seems to be something that's floating around out there. Um, So I decided to go ahead and do a search on it. And what I came up with was list of 365 Bible verses to conquer fear and anxiety. Well, my beloved husband printed it out because I didn't want all the junk on the side. And then he went so far as to count them. He says, Molly, there's only 144 here. I have five pages of font done in 10 of fear. Genesis, there's eight. Exodus has two. One in Gen- but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And all of these, all of these, when they say, do not be afraid, do not be anxious, it is connected to I am with you or the presence of God. What did we just find out here? It's the presence of God that brings peace. So Genesis is eight, Exodus has two. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you, with you to keep you from sinning. God is with you. Leviticus has one, Numbers has three. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to the Lord. Lift up his countenance and give you peace. Do not be afraid. Only do not rebel against the Lord. That's sinning. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid of them. Deuteronomy, there's ten. Joshua has five. Judges has two. First and Second Samuel six, First and Second Kings five, First and Second Chronicles there's five, Nehemiah one, Job three, Psalms. You want to take a guess? Sixteen, a lot in there. Proverbs two, Ecclesiastes one. This is just from this one thing. Isaiah has nineteen. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because I am with you, Lord God Jehovah. Jehovah is what? God is with us, right? Jeremiah 9, Lamentations has one, Ezekiel has one, Daniel has a couple, Joseph and I, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. New Testament, Matthew has 10, Mark has 3, Luke has 9, John 4, Acts 3, Romans, Hebrews, Philippians, 1 Peter 3, 1 John, Revelation. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will be put to you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be bound faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. God is with us. So the presence of God... So, the presence of God brings peace. All of these, when it says, do not be afraid, when the Bible says, don't do something, that is considered a commandment. 
Therefore, when we don't do that, that's a sin, right? You follow me so far? So when we get all caught up in anxiety and fear, that's sin. And when we're sinning, when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, that gets in, that uh, hinders our awareness of God in our life. God's always with us. He's never going to forsake us or leave us. But it hinders our ability to be totally engulfed in him. Because why? We're not looking at him. We've either turned our back on him and we're sinning or we know we're sinning and we're hiding and we're, and we're just not, we've, we're not reading our Bible, we're not praying, we're not doing what we need to do. So that peace of God is when we have a clean heart and we have confessed all known sin and we're totally with God in, in, in the holiness, as much as the holiness that we can be on this side of heaven. Do not be afraid. I am with you. His presence. Be aware of his presence. And when we're aware of his presence, we're not hiding from him like Adam and Eve did in the garden. When we're aware of him, we have the freedom to be with him and to sing with him and to uh, praise him because, because there's an open communication there. Search me and see if there'd be anything in me that isn't good, God. We, we kind of do that when we pray adoration and confession. Um, so we have peace with God through salvation and continued peace of mind through holy living and a clear conscience. When we get afraid, we're not focused on him. We're looking at the situation. We're looking at what is the problem down there. We're distracted. Satan's got us. We're not looking at him. We've turned away from him. And when we do that, we're easy targets for the enemy. Why? Because it's a sin to be afraid. And when that happens, then it just compounds it, and we've got to spiral right down. Boom, 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 boom. So if there's anxiety in a person's life, we have to stop and say, okay, if it's a Christian... Do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? When was the last time you opened your Bible? When was the last time you talked to God? Oh, well, I haven't in a while. That's always the answer. I haven't been to church, or I haven't. I know I should. I always get that. I know I should. Well, that might be part of your problem, right? Because peace with God is a good relationship with him. Now, let's bring that into the next thing now, because when that's good, what are we enabled to do? Have power. We cannot live a powerful, successful Christian life, effective Christian life, if we don't have peace with God. If we have unconfessed sin in our life, or we're not living a lifestyle that we should be doing, we're going to be ineffective, because we've, we've uh, quenched the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so they go hand in hand here. Um, so this is a powerful truth to hang on to in our day and age, to realize that if we, and we need to be powerful believers in this day and age, because there's a lot of forces acting against us. 
And now is not the time for the church to retreat and take a back seat and say, okay, we'll close our doors, we'll do this or whatever, you know. I look at these states that are open. I look at California's all shut down, but John MacArthur kept his doors open. You know, I look at these states where they're wide open and everything and standing out there boldly, and that just gives me encouragement. I really do. If we were still at first press over there, we'd still be, we wouldn't be in. It'd be, you know, we wouldn't be able to sing like we did today. Okay? And so when we are obedient to God, who says, do not forsake assembling together, sing a joyful noise unto the Lord, smile and interact with each other and have facial expression. I could have gone on and done a whole other probably five minutes on the importance of face-to-face contact and the mental health issues that are coming out with that. There's a lot of them. Children, especially children, little children. We talked about adolescents. Little children need to see face-to-face. When I would go to Walmart back in the day where everyone was doing a mask except me, I would see a little kid in, a stro- in, a, in one of the buggies, and they'd be like, and I would smile at them, and they'd be like, whoa, a human face. Really? Children learn to, to mimic, and um, that's how they communicate a lot with facial expressions. So wake up. Pray about it. Pray about it. Get close to God. See what he wants you to do in this time and age. I think it's very apropos. God is, always comes through with how he networks things, but to have us have that study that at a time such as this, go out. He sends us out. Almighty God, thank you so much that you, you brought peace, that you brought peace. We just want to rest in that. Give us a, a hatred for sin. Hate the things you hate and love what you love. So much so that we just hunger and thirst and just long for your presence and don't want to be caught outside that presence. Our eyes on you. And empower us, almighty God. We thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word that sanctifies. We thank you for just giving us direction and marching orders. Oh, maybe we be found worthy to hear. Um, Well done, good and faithful servant. To your glory, in the name of Christ, amen.